Welcome to the Bible Has Feet podcast. My name is Nick Myers. Thank you for joining me today. Um, seeing as how this is the first episode of the Bible Has Feet podcast, I figured that it would be a good idea to set a foundation, really. To set a foundation of what it is that we're going to be discussing, what we're going to be talking about. Now, if you listen to the trailer, you know that I went over very quickly that the Bible Has Feet is going to be about the sufficiency of the Bible, how the Bible and the gospel how it changes our life, how it affects everything, really. And I mentioned things like voting, uh, how we raise our children, how we run our homes, how we work, how we interact with our spouse. And so really, uh, I mean, when we think about these things, it's kind of, it's not very common in our world today for people to think that the Bible, especially Christians, which is wild, but kind of blows my mind, um, that that they don't, the thought isn't there that the Bible affects all those things, that the gospel changes everything, that when the Lord, when Jesus Christ saves a saves a, a man or a woman, that he then owns that man or woman, and he says, <laughs> effectively, whatever you have is mine, and I want you to go and live um, the way that I am going to guide and direct you, as if the Bible doesn't speak to all of the things in life. And really, you know, People will, um, you know, balk at that. Uh, they'll argue against that and say, well, the Bible doesn't talk about everything explicitly. The Bible doesn't say, you know, how to do astrophysics or brain surgery. And yeah, of course, that's that's true. But that's kind of what we're going to hit on today. Um, although the Bible doesn't tell us um, the exact d- degree and pitch at which pipes need to be uh, put in a home for proper drainage. It does tell the plumber um, how to work in a way that glorifies the Lord, how to work in a way that honors him. You know, So as we look to the scriptures, we can be confident that although um, you know, it doesn't say you know, that I need to use exactly um, you know, a paper mate uh, right bros one millimeter uh you know to write the best uh, smoothly or you know i have to use a fountain pen or anything like that it does tell me how to write uh, in a way that would glorify god and um it does tell me how to think how to live how to believe how to use my hands how to use my heart how to use the things that the lord has given me for his glory and um so one thing that i want to bring mention to is that this is now this is not a novel idea frankly this is not a novel idea the fact that the scriptures are the foundation for all of life uh, i mean first of all it's biblical it's, it's biblical jesus says things like you know why do you say you love me and not do what i command well if we if we love christ and then don't do what he commands if we say we love christ rather and we don't do what he commands then really that brings into question whether we do love christ but then the question is well i do love christ and is what he commands is that does that affect everything or just certain spheres of my life where I'd like it to? Or Paul in Galatians 2, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In this life that I now live, I live by faith, you know, uh, these kinds of things. So Christ living in us, does, does Christ have a say in what we do, how we, what we say, what we think? And if so, what does that mean for our lives? You know, and these are, these are really, really crucial questions for us to ask ourselves especially as we try to live faithfully, especially as we try to um, deal faithfully with the world, with the, with, uh, live faithfully in the world and glorify the Lord. And so one of the things that 
uh, I think is in, is important to to recognize just right off the bat is that when we come to a, a historic faith, a historic Christian faith. So we look to the Westminster Confession, for instance, and in chapter one, paragraph two, the writers wrote, "Under the name of the Holy Scriptures, or the Word of God, written are now contained all the books of the Old and New Testament, which are these." And then it lists the sixty-six books, and then it says, "All which are given by inspiration of God to be the rule of faith." and life. And that's super crucial. I mean, that's that's insanely crucial to to recognize. They're recognizing that that the word of God is God breathed, which is something that that we need to to ask, you know, what's the significance of that? Well, the significance is that if God is the ultimate supreme authority, and these are the very words from his mouth that we read in scripture, then then don't they have a say in how we live our life? Second Timothy 3:16, all of scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, that's the whole life. How do you live a way that's pleasing to the Lord? Well, they say right here, the the, the, the scriptures are the rule. Um, they're the measuring rod. They're the, um, they're the directive for how we live our life. So really, I want to hit on sufficiency for a second. And when we come to the sufficiency of the Bible, we need to recognize that the secular world, and not just the secular world, but also the the Christian world, which has adopted a lot of secular thought, uh, stands in pretty stark opposition to what we would what what I would call the sufficiency of the Bible. And there are many reasons for that, and we'll get into that in later episodes. But the first thing that I want to make mention of is the fact that there are four, when we talk about sufficiency, right, people say, for instance, um, I remember having a conversation with a, with a friend and we were eating at, and, you know, I was talking to him about the sufficiency of the Bible and uh, an objection was, well, when I leave this place, the Bible doesn't tell me to turn left or right. And that's true. The Bible doesn't say that. And so if we're going to be careful and make proper distinctions, you know, we need to, we need to do just that. We need to ask ourselves, all right, if the Bible doesn't tell me when I get to the stoplight to turn left or right, then then in what way is the Bible sufficient? In what way does the Bible command my life and tell me how to live? And so there's four categories of sufficiency, and they go in this order. Progressive, not in any particular order. Progressive sufficiency, completed sufficiency, formal sufficiency, and material sufficiency. Now, for our purposes, um, formal and material sufficiency will be the most significant. But just to hit briefly, um, com- progressive uh, sufficiency means that the amount of revelation that God's covenant people have at any point in redemptive history is sufficient for them at that particular time. And so when you think about, well, of course, if we just think about this for a moment, the people in Joshua's day or Moses' day or David's day didn't have as much of the Bible as we have today. The New Testament writers didn't even have as much as we have today. You know, when you read Paul t- telling the Ephesians about the scripture, you know, read the scriptures to admonish one another with the scriptures. Well, what, what scriptures is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the Old Testament, not the books that we have now, Matthew through Revelation. Um, but the point is that at each point in redemptive history, in the history of the world, and history of creation, we see that God was kind in his mercy and kindness, did not expect, one, 
he didn't expect the covenant people to go beyond what was written, but that he gave them what was sufficient for them to be obedient. And the second thing to realize is that even though, consider Noah, for instance, he didn't really have very much, but what he did have was sufficient for him to obey the Lord and to please him in a way that God desired to be pleased. The second the second kind of sufficiency is completed sufficiency. And that means that the completion of God's work of redemption leads to the closing of the Christian canon and the completion of revelation. So we would say that, you know, the canon is closed. There's no there's nothing left to be revealed in a special specific salvific way from the Lord to us, but that it's all been revealed from Genesis to Revelation. We have the completed canon. And and this teaches us that that although God was adding to the Bible over over uh, the past millenn- few millennia, the text of Scripture that we now recognize, which is the sixty six books that the that the writers of the Confession mentioned, um, that those are completely sufficient. We're not waiting on more more additions to the canon. We're not waiting on something else to be revealed. We have everything we need. We have everything that God wants us to have. Now, when we come to formal sufficiency, this is means that scripture contains everything essential for its own interpretation. Okay? Um, so, the divines here who wrote the confession in chapter 1 in paragraph 9, uh, they write, the infallible rule of interpretation of scripture is the scripture itself. And therefore, when there's a question about the true and full sense of any scripture, which is not manifold, but one. So there's not multiple scriptures. There's only one scripture, and it's contained with, from Genesis to Revelation. It must be searched and known by other places that speak more clearly. And that's really helpful. It's really helpful to know that the scripture, we don't need to go to history to understand what's going on in the Bible. That, that's helpful. We're, we're not saying that's not helpful, we don't, but we don't need that in order to, to understand what it is that God is saying. We don't need church tradition. We don't need um, we don't need you know uh, what would be coined as like Catholic Church authority. Um, we need the Scripture. Formal sufficiency doesn't mean that Christians should never uh, consult other resources of information, but just that uh, what we have is enough. What we have is sufficient to help us uh, to know everything that the Lord would have for us. Uh, and, and the point of formal sufficiency is really to affirm the authority of Scripture and to ensure that um, all use of outside sources point back to the authority of Scripture. So in other words, let's say we run into um, something outside of Scripture that would contradict with the Scriptures. Well, we would have a, we would have a serious problem because we then have to say, well, <laughs> which one is right? And, and if we... Um, if we know the God who wrote the Bible as being the author of all of history, then we would, you know, as, as one point uh, to make, then we would recognize that if there's something that contradicts the scriptures, then whatever contradicts the scripture is, is necessarily wrong. The, um, the, last, the last type of sufficiency is material sufficiency. And... And this is really the point at which we're going to have the most debate and most argument. Because material sufficiency refers to the actual contents 
of Scripture and means that the Bible tells us everything that we need to know from God about any topic. And right off the bat, you can kind of sense the weight of that, of that thought. And this is where my friend would say, well, the Bible does not tell me how to drive. The Bible does not tell me which direction to turn when I leave the restaurant. The Bible doesn't tell me, you know, how to do brain surgery or doesn't tell me about uh, electric currents. And this category of sufficiency really concerns the extent to which various subjects are addressed in Scripture. And like I said, this is the category that's the most controversial. But what's the extent of material sufficiency? And I'm going to read for you here um, out of uh, Heath Lambert's book, A Theology of Biblical Counseling, because he explains the extent actually extremely well. When we say that the Bible is sufficient for counseling, we are referring to all four aspects of sufficiency, the ones I just went over. But in particular, we mean that the material sufficiency of Scripture extends to the subject matter of counseling. John Frame, in his book, The Doctrine of the Word of God, provides a framework for us in appreciating how the scriptures can sufficiently address the subject matter of counseling. In a lengthy section on the sufficiency of scripture, he writes, quote, Christians sometimes say that scripture is sufficient for religion or, or preaching or theology, but not for such things as auto repairs, plumbing, animal husbandry, and dentistry. And of course, many urge, many argue that it's not sufficient for science, philosophy, or even ethics. That is to miss an an important point. Certainly, Scripture contains more specific information relevant to theology than to dentistry. But, this is the key point, sufficiency in the present context is not sufficiency of specific information, but sufficiency of divine words. Scripture contains divine words sufficient for all of life. It has all the divine words that the plumber needs, all the divine words that the theologian needs. So it's just as sufficient for plumbing as it is for theology. And in that sense, it is sufficient for science and ethics as well. And then Heath goes on to explain the, the, few things that, the, the two things that Frame is saying here. He says, first, Frame discusses that what, what he'll call material sufficiency in the particular sense. Right? So, he, so he branches out material sufficiency into two branches, particular and general. And he does this when he observes that Scripture contains more specific information relevant to theology than dentistry. He's pointing out that the subject matter of Scripture is more about some particular kinds of information than it is about others. And second, Heath uh, Lambert goes on to say that Frame describes what he'll call the general sense of material sufficiency. He does this when he states that Scripture contains divine words sufficient for all of life. It is all the divine words that the plumber needs, all the divine words that the theologian needs. God has given enough of his words to us to know how to honor him in every discipline. Both of these senses of material sufficiency are needed for us to see how the Bible is sufficient for the task of counseling. So, really, and he goes on to speak more clearly about material, uh, the material sufficiency in the general and particular sense. But right off the bat, what we and we'll get into those at another time uh, when we have more time. But right off the bat, it's very important that we get into our minds that the Bible is not just a book that that tells us how to get saved, and then we go to live our we get to go live our life however we want um, in a way that that isn't guided or directed or informed by the Scripture. That is not a Christian idea. That is actually a uh, a worldly idea. I'm sure you've heard of the the phrase, the carnal Christian, that is a very, it's a very worldly idea to think that, well, if, if I'm a Christian, uh, you know, I'm saved by, by Christ, I'm redeemed 
by him. And I, you know, that happened through the gospel being proclaimed to me, but then the gospel no longer has any effect on my life. The gospel no longer dictates uh, what I do, uh, how I speak, who I, who I speak to, uh, what kind of jobs I can have. Um, this is a foreign concept. And, and really, I would say this concept is probably more prevalent in within the past few decades than it has been historically speaking, just because of the rampant onset of individuality and um, postmodernism and things like that, that has, that have sparked kind of a movement away from what the scriptures would say uh, is the Lord's will for our life. Right. And Paul even talks about this um, very seriously that we need to discern what the will of God is and uh, really seek him out. So if you go to Romans Romans 12, 2, uh, Paul says, Don't be conformed to, the, to, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, or, or sorry, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And, and the fact of the matter is, is, so renew our minds to what? renew our minds in accordance with what um uh and and what's the purpose of proving what the will of god is if if that if it isn't uh to do what god's will is so what's and then, and then how do you so what's acceptable what's good what's perfect right and all these questions i think have been sadly either overlooked or answered wrongly in our current climate in our current uh, culture and moment and really, the whole point of of this of the Bible has feet and of this uh, understanding the sufficiency of the Bible is to be faithful, is to be more faithful to the Lord, is to be a, a man or woman of God who says, you know, I want the world to see my good works, so they may glorify my Father in heaven. And the fact of the matter is, how do you determine what good works are if you are not looking to the Scripture and saying? What does the Lord want from me? Right. So you go back. We go back to our example. Should I turn left or right going out of the going out of the restaurant? Well, in, on the one hand, do I have the freedom to turn left or right? Absolutely. How do I know I have that freedom? Because God in His Word has told me that I have that freedom. So I know off the bat I can turn left or right. But what if in one direction there's a billboard with a woman that I think is attractive, or a man that you think is attractive? You know. Or what if what if one way is the longer way to get home, and you just want to take some time to yourself instead of going home to be with your with your wife and children. Uh, I mean, you know, so we can, we can really, in these matters, we can really think, well, uh, if I, if I did turn left, that actually might be sinful. That actually might be against the will of God. That might actually be something that the Lord doesn't want me to do. And it so, so it isn't just as easy as, well, God doesn't say turn left or right. No, he doesn't. But we need to think more critically than that. We need to be people who are more aware, who are willing to to be deeper thinkers than just, well, the Bible doesn't say this explicitly, so I obviously don't have to pay any mind to it. That's not where we need to stand. We need to stand upon the rock, which is the word of Christ, which, which is, it's an odd thing to say, well, I'm saved by the Lord, but I'm not standing upon his word or, or to say that I am standing upon his word, but it, it actually makes no difference in my life. But anyway, so that's it for this podcast. I hope you enjoyed this. If you 
have. If you found this to be helpful, please leave us a review. Uh, You can go to reformconfess.com to find out more about this podcast and Reform the Confessional. And you can also go to anchoredhopepgh.com. Now, uh, a a quick thing. um, That is my counseling ministry. That's my counseling practice where I do biblical counseling. If you're interested in biblical counseling or know somebody who needs biblical counseling or... um, uh, then please send them to that website and I can do, we can do online uh, counseling. If they're in the Pittsburgh area, we can also get together and do counseling. But anyway, till next time, uh, thank you for listening and see you later.